Join me in turning to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, it's page 867, 867 on your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5 reads, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, we're excited. It's the beginning of summer. I know that's probably been a few weeks ago, but to us, uh, school is out now for many of us. And uh, it's the beginning of June. And we think about these two months, especially in June and July, the many opportunities we have uh, to spend some extra time with our children as a church family and perhaps even as individual families. And it's exciting to us. And we pause and we think for just a moment, why? Why is it that you and I, as children of God, value children? I want you to realize and think for just a moment this morning that not every society has done that. Not every culture has done that. In many cultures or societies, children are the bottom rung. They're considered second class. They're not appreciated. They're not loved as much until they can accomplish something great in life. And yet there's something about you and I that has been spiritually wired differently. And it's because of our God's great love for children. The soul. All year long, we're trying in our studies to bring an emphasis of the value of a soul so that hopefully for the rest of our life, all of us would always place the emphasis on the soul that God would want us to place. And so this month, we especially want to think about how does God view the souls of children? Because what if you and I didn't view the souls of children the way God viewed the souls of children? There'd be some things that would be missed priorities in our church family, in our physical families, and there would be lives that could be reached, that could be touched or nurtured that otherwise wouldn't be. How important it is for us to see each other, but even children in the way that God sees us and sees our children our children that are among us this morning, but even our children that are out in the community around us and even children that are around the world. Children mean a world to God. On this picture, you might think it's kind of a comical looking picture on this next slide. Not every day you get to stare a pig in the eyes unless you grew up where I did. Now, you may look at that and say, I see a pig. But you know this little game that you sometimes play in little books where there's a picture in a picture? Do you see the owl? You know if, oh, he beat me to it. If you flip that picture upside down, you'll see the owl. All right, let's look at this next picture. As, as you see a beautiful picture of a rose, there's another picture in that picture. 
Maybe you don't recognize immediately the beautiful little dolphin that's tucked into the petals there, but on this next slide, you can see right there's the little dolphin. Or on this next picture, we have a beautiful picture of, of a tiger. But you know that there's a side view of a woman's face in that picture. It might be hard for you to see. You might have to study it for a while. Some of you probably already picked it out. On this next slide, you can kind of, you see right there on the right side of his face. And then when you go back to the actual photograph again, maybe then you can see it. What about this next picture? When you look at this next picture of this child, do you see the picture inside that picture? Oh, that's kind of a trick. You could stare at that one for a long time. There's not really a picture hid in that unless you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian and you understand the text that's just been read today, you understand that in that face, you and I as God's children, we are supposed to see Jesus. He clearly said in the text today that when we receive a child in his name, we receive Jesus. How do you look at, at the child that is a stranger to you in the grocery store? How do you look at the child that's a stranger to you on another continent? Those of you that just come back from Honduras, how did you view the children there? Those of you that can look down the pew, whether it's right beside you or just a, a few feet down, and, and you can look at a child, how do you view them? It's important that we learn from Jesus that Jesus wants us to see Him in children. It hasn't always been easy for us to do that. You see, when we think about who is the greatest on this next slide, we see that not only this little girl is there, but we see just a random picture of a woman. In society, you could say, hey, who's the greatest here? And even though perhaps in America, we would hesitate to say, well, the woman is more important. Oftentimes, people treat the adults as if they're more important. But yet the whole teaching that Jesus is giving here is he's addressing individuals that as adults, they're arguing which one is the greatest. And it's almost as if the underlying message, now it very quickly becomes the direct message. But at first, it's almost as if the underlying message is, wait a minute, if adults are going to argue among yourself, which one is prominent, which one receives the most honor, which one should be esteemed the greatest? Can you imagine how far back that must put children? If you're going to compete with each other for greatness, how are children going to compete on the way that adults would operate that competition? It's something to think about. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But what I'd like for you to do is look at Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse one again with me, where he says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I'd like for you to notice the last part of, of that question that they asked Jesus. Who then is greatest, here it is, in the kingdom of heaven? Think for just a moment that they didn't really understand that question because they more than likely still believed that the kingdom was going to be an earthly kingdom. They believed that the Messiah was going to come and show great power and strength over Rome. That he one day was going to pick up a sword and he was going to lead a revolt that one day would conquer. They were looking for an earthly king that can prepare for them an earthly kingdom so they, they can be free from, from all of the, the, the oppression that they had been experiencing. And so with that mindset of an earthly kingdom, they wanted to know, probably in their minds, underneath Jesus... Who's going to have the next role of authority? Who's going to have the next great place of honor? 
And isn't it interesting that that continued to be their struggle? Now, you see what we're doing here? Their struggle continued to be that it was an earthly kingdom and their dialogue continued to be a struggle against competition. Which one of us is most important? Listen, anytime you and I view our life that the earthly things are all that there is and that's all that is the most important, we're going to fall prey to that idea that if the earthly things are more important, we're going to compare ourselves to each other constantly. We're going to have that jealous envy, that competition. I'm better than you. I've accomplished more than you. I do more in a day than you do. I have a greater education than you do. I have a better means of, of income. I have, I have, I have, and it's better, better, better than you. And someone says, why is it that some people don't live like that? Because some people realize that there's a spiritual kingdom that's far more important than the earthly, and it puts things into priority. When we understand the spiritual kingdom, it literally puts a child equal with any adult, with any accomplishments. The world strategy could never produce that. But that is the beauty of what Jesus and his kingdom produces. I want to remind you back in Matthew, the 16th chapter, we can't camp out on this, but we've been looking at this throughout the year from time to time. In Matthew 16 and 21, Jesus is telling them that he's going to go and suffer. If you flip back just page in your Bible, you're there. In Matthew 16 and 22, Peter rebuked him and said, I'm not going to let you suffer. In other words, he didn't want Jesus to die on the cross. And you remember in 23, he turned, Jesus turned to Peter and he said some very strong words. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You see that? Their struggle continued to be earthly and Jesus was continually trying to get them to lift their eyes, look spiritual. I don't want you to die. You're, you're my friend. We're going to have an earthly kingdom. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm going to defend you. And he's saying, quit being mindful of the things of this earth. Be mindful of the things of God. And so when we go to 24 and he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You see what he's saying? Don't be mindful of the things of the earth. Not your will be done. God's will be done. And skip down to 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? Earthly, that would be great success, but loses his own soul. That would be disaster spiritually. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? So when we think about what is the problem that has led to this question as we go back to our text in Matthew the 18th chapter and verse 1, the very problem that led to this question was they were still thinking earthly instead of spiritually. And what was their question? Who is the greatest? Who is it that, that we, can, we can claim? One individual that can claim the place of preeminence underneath you, Jesus, who is it? Now, I need to realize that it would be very easy for me to be in that same competition with them in that day and time where they were trying to learn all of this about the kingdom. Listen, they didn't have the luxury of flipping through all of the New Testament and learning this. It's easy for us to look back and say, how ridiculous. Can you believe they did that? But if we'd have been walking in their shoes, we probably would have been tempted to do the same thing. And so I want you to imagine, this is a serious question for them. They have asked Jesus a question and they want to know the answer. Can you imagine at the point in time when they asked this question, who is the greatest? At what point in time was it the long pause? Was it the disappointed facial expression? Was it the tone of voice? At what point in time did they realize, ooh, we shouldn't have asked that. You remember that as a child? 
You remember when you thought you were asking your mom and dad something that was all right, and, and then when you ask, you're like, oh, I wish I would have never brought that up. I want to remind you again, let's look, verse 2, 3, and 4, and then we're going to talk about this. Look at 2, 3, and 4. They've asked the question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And here's Jesus. He called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. They probably by now are catching on. We messed up. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Brethren, do you see that he said three things about children in this context that was a direct answer to the question of who's the greatest? They didn't say, can you give us some dialogue about children? They honestly wanted to know. You can imagine, maybe Peter is thinking, he's going to think I'm great because I'm a natural leader and I just seem to take charge of these people. I must be the greatest. You can imagine maybe Matthew's thinking, hey, I'm a tax collector. I've had high places of power and I've had great responsibility and, and I've gone against the grain. He, he's going to pick me. Can you imagine their thought when they probably were honestly thinking Jesus is going to look around to one of the adults and say, it's Peter. He's the greatest among you. And can you imagine that pause? Can you imagine the eyes just shifting as Jesus walks over and he takes, and the Greek word here would be either an infant or a toddler, or never was this Greek word referring to a child that's over half grown. And in a society when a child was an adult at 14 or 15 years of age, we're probably talking about seven or less. He probably, because Mark's account says he picked the child up, he probably had a little toddler. And you imagine him leading that little toddler in the middle of these inquisitive adults wanting to know in their arrogance who is the greatest. And you can imagine him beginning by talking and saying, unless you become converted, that word means changed. I know a lot of times we think about converted to Christianity for just a moment. Not that that's not important, but for a moment, don't think about converted that way. For just a moment, think about converted means you've changed your thinking. You have turned. You've left behind the arrogance that you're feeling now, and you're going to have something to change unless you be converted. And unless you become like a little child. What a difference. You're telling me we're going to go from bragging about which one of us is the greatest and you're going to answer the question by saying, become like a toddler, become like a child. Why would we ever want to do that? Well, why did Jesus do that? Jesus saw the destructive pride that they were feeling. He saw the selfish ambition that they were asking about. And he saw the preeminence that was fueled by their love for it. And Jesus is literally taking and reminding them and us as we read it today of how shameful it is when we're in competitive matches with each other as adults. Listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not competing with each other. It's not which deacon can lead better. 
Which elder do you think is a better elder? Which minister on staff is a better minister? Which one of our older married couples best exemplifies a Christian faithful marriage? We're not in competition with each other. It's not as if on the day of judgment there's going to be a sliding scale based on who we are toward each other. And Jesus is trying to take what would be a human earthly way of thinking and he's shattering that to say, you want to talk about greatness in the kingdom? Greatness in the kingdom is getting over the arrogance, the selfish ambition. It's getting over yourself. It's becoming like little children. Okay, this is the golden question. So many times people say, well, I wonder exactly what he meant when he said become like little children. Little children can be irresponsible. Little children are immature. And we go on and on. We say, what does he mean by that? Listen, I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but we don't have to guess on this. Look at the very next phrase. We know exactly what he means by it. He says, whoever humbles himself as this little child. And he begins that fourth verse with therefore. In other words, tying it to, I've put this little child in the midst of you and I'll tell you why I want you to be changed. I want you to become like this little child. Here is why. I want you to be humble. Now I want you for just a moment to think like a, a toddler, not think like a competitive parent of a toddler. What achievements a toddler going to brag about? I mean, you get competitive parents and they brag about, oh, you know, it's, it's that mother of, of a, of a uh, 15 month old that looks over at the mother that has a two and a half year old that's not potty trained. She said, oh, well, my 15 month old is potty trained. As if you really believe that makes your child better. You see, that's the arrogance. You know what? That 15 month old is not going to look over at the two and a half year old and say, hey, hey, I'm one up on you. I'm potty trained. Oh, really? You still have your passy. I laid that down at 15 months old. I can't believe at 17 months old, you still have that. Now, we hear talk like that, but it's from the arrogant adults. It's not from the child that talks like that. You don't hear toddlers brag about their daily schedule. You know, dad doesn't come in or mom come in and, and at the end of the day, the three-year-old daughter meets them at the door and says, oh, I had to rush in to get here in time. Uh, I got up at four this morning. I went down to the Y and then I, you know, I start my meeting with the, with the executives at seven o'clock as CEO of the company. And then I told them we've got to rush today. And we took the corporate jet over to Memphis and then up to Chicago. But I told them we got to get back in because I want to be in when mom and dad gets in. Oh, and what did y'all do today? That's the way adults talk. We are that arrogant. We love to talk about what we have achieved. We love to talk about our busy schedules. We love to talk about our education. Oh, when I was getting my doctorate. Have you heard a toddler talk about that? Well, I, Dad, I'm glad you went out and ran three miles this morning. I thought I'd go ahead and knock eight out. Jesus, why do you want us to be like children? And he would say, I want you to see that in my kingdom, your worth is not tied to can you outperform and outachieve everybody else around you. 
You need to know this morning, if your health doesn't allow you to do as much as the person sitting next to you in the pew, that God loves you and is as thankful for you as he is anyone else. You need to know this morning that if your greater days of service have been in the past because now the winter of life has crept up on you, God does not love you less. He loves children that can't accomplish much of anything at this point in their life so much, he sits them in the middle and he says, I wish I could get everybody to be humble like them. It's not the list of accomplishments. It's the heart. It's the humility. It's the dependency upon God. It's the love and devotion to God. Children love well. Children practice humility. Jesus sets them in the middle and says, you braggadocious adults. He doesn't say it in these words, but it's almost like he says, I'm sick of hearing it. You know who the kingdom of heaven is going to be made up of? Little ones like this. Little ones that are humble. And then he keeps on the same topic of the children, but he shifts. It's a pretty major shift. And then he says, now let's stop talking about what you need to be like the children. And it's almost as if he says, now I want for just a moment, I want to talk to you about how you view children. Look at verse five. And in verse five, he clearly said, whoever receives one little child. And he goes on to say, in my name, receives me. But now think about this. Do we receive children? Jesus is calling them out. He knows their arrogance. He knows that if they're competing with each other, that they have probably in their mind belittled children so small that they're off the radar. And so he calls them on it. And he says, what do children mean to you? You want to be great in my kingdom? You can't receive me unless you place a high value on the children in your life. I guess you got it when the Lord said it and when I said it just then, but I'd like to echo it again. If you do not place a high value on children, you cannot receive Jesus. That's what his kingdom's made up of. It's made up of people that are humble and value everyone, including children. Well, children can't, can't, can't give great accomplishments to the work of the kingdom. Why, why do we want children? Because Jesus taught us how important they were. Why do we do what we do? I want to urge all of us to recognize that this summer we'll be busy. It's not to be busy. It's not just because it's summer and children need to have something to do. We do what we do because we want to receive children and show worth, their worth, our love for them, and in so doing, receive Jesus. I want to challenge you as I list several things in just a moment that any of you, which is going to be many of you, will be working with children over this month. I want to encourage you to work over these next few months. I want to encourage you to work with children, seeing their worth, not just tolerating them, but to love them and to receive them knowing that in doing that, we receive Jesus. Camp Stradiotes begins today, June 2nd through the 7th. There are more children by far registered for this than ever. In the past, the most we've ever had is like 126 or 27 campers. Today, 178 campers will leave for camp. 
a facility that can hold 240 will have 239 sleeping in it tonight. What a blessing. We got many adults that will be receiving children. Chisel 6 is for high school and college age young men. It's a 48-hour experience. It leaves out one week from today at one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's 12 experiences over 48 hours. It begins June the 9th. If you plan on going that, all of our high school or college age young men are invited. Please send me a text or email me and let me know that you're planning on it. We look forward to being together. Our VBS at Marlington, West Virginia is June the 16th through the 19th, and our young adult mission trip uh, will be working with these wonderful young people in Marlington. Our VBS at Mount Juliet will begin June 23rd to the 27th. It's a morning VBS and registration is online now. Did you hear that? Be sure if you're registering your child, do that online now, not as in get your phone out now, but today will be fine. Also keep in mind that the teenage VBS will also run at the very same hours as this. Sculpt for the high school young women, another 48-hour experience uh, will begin June the 30th, which is a Sunday. July the 7th will be the second greatest command day. Now, not every, well, hardly, uh, in the past, very few times have we placed an emphasis on children. But this year, uh, we've moved it back to July for a reason, and you'll see that because the emphasis is going to be on how God would give us opportunities to help children in our community. July 17th is the Wednesday of our stateside, and the congregation there has asked us to help them with a one-day VBS on that Wednesday. July 28th is a back-to-school service here. There'll be many other classes, devotionals. There'll be many other times that individuals who will do good things for children. But these are just a few of the highlights that I want I want to remind you to be praying for. I want to remind you to support. And I want to urge every one of us to be involved in these because we love Jesus. And because Jesus has taught us to love children. Not because it's something we need to do, we have to do. It's something that we love to do because we love Jesus. Let's conclude this lesson. I'd like for us to go back and I'd like for you to see how strongly Jesus drives home the point. Let's go back to those same three phrases. Number one, when he told them, when they asked who's the greatest and he said, be converted and become as little children. Notice, notice the rest of that teaching. Or you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You hear what he's saying? Oh, you want to argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom? If you can't become like a little child, you won't even be in the kingdom. The next phrase, and whoever humbles himself as this little child, he says in verse four, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's your answer. When you get so humble that you realize it's not about accomplishments. It's not about earthly competition. It's about loving each other, even those that at this point in their life, they can't even be physically productive. Or number, or verse five, we see whoever receives one little child in my name receives me. What a teaching. You see, when we skip a few slides and we go to this picture of, of this water and, and trees, do you know there's a picture hidden in that picture? If you know what it is, after services today, I'd like for you to tell me. I've studied it over and can't find it. I've showed it to several others. They can't find it. The reason I show you that at the end 
is that's my fear that sometimes what we do whenever we see children, we don't see Jesus. It's not the child's fault. It's our fault. The picture's there. We just need to see the picture. And so this morning as we focus on souls, but we hear Jesus saying, I want you to focus on the children's souls because ultimately we all want to be children of God. Can we help you in any way? Are you ready to become a child of God? Are you ready to be baptized into Christ? We'd love to help you with that. If you're already a Christian and yet you've strayed and you want to repent and you want to come back and confess sin and pray forgiveness, we'd love to pray with you and for you. We're all children. Hopefully we're all humble. It's not a competition. It's not a judgment looking down one on another. It's an opportunity to pray for each other. It's an opportunity to encourage each other. Because when the day is done, we want to be able to pillar our head tonight and more than anything, know that we are a faithful child of God. If we can help you in any way, come as we 